everybody. Amanda Alexander here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Or Else After the Holidays. I hope you guys had a wonderful time. Today, we are going to be interviewing Bo Dietrich, an Or alum and also a member of the Or Alumni Advisory Council. I hope you guys enjoy. My name is Bo Dietrich. Um, I am a resident of Indianapolis, Indiana, Boilermaker graduate, uh, one-time filmmaker, and now in family business. And I was an Or Fellow, nice. or I still am. There you go. That's what we it like never, to say. It never ends. It never ends. I want you all to know that for the first 10 minutes of our interview, Bo and I geeked out about different podcasts and audio and all different kinds of sound and film things. Even though I am not an expert, he very much is, and it was fun to hear him talk about it. I won't put in those sound bites to bog the podcast down, but I just want to let you know that he is super interesting when it comes to these things, and I'm going to try and slip them in every once in a while as I can. But for now, we're going to keep on the track of career path and how he eventually found himself in the position he is today. So first of all, we're going to talk about his or fellowship experience and how he eventually used film and audio to enhance his career. One thing I will say is that in this interview, I learned a lot about Bo. Besides all of the wonderful career wisdom, I learned that he is a movie buff, as would fit him since he studied film in college. His favorite movie quote is from The Godfather. The quote is, it's not personal, it's just business. And I also learned that when asked your favorite movie, and this applies specifically to film people, you have to act like it's the first time you've ever been asked that question. Crinkle your forehead really, really hard and stroke your imaginary beard before you give your top three choices. Because a film studies major cannot have only one favorite movie. And if you listed only one movie, someone would always find something wrong with it, pick it apart, and question your taste and intelligence. In case you were wondering, his top three are The Godfather Part 1, Pulp Fiction, and Casablanca. I guess my path was different. A lot of people knew that they wanted to be in the Or Fellowship. And for me, the Or Fellowship kind of came up sort of last minute. Um, I was an Or Fellow with Exact Target. And the year before my senior year of college, I interned there. And so I was fortunate enough to go back to school pretty much with a job offer to come back, which made for a very fun senior year. Right. But um, I think along the way, I had talked to all these people who I respected and who were really successful within the company, and I would ask them, you know, what are some of the things that you attribute your rising success to? And so many of them had come through the OR Fellowship in its very mm-hmm. early days. So that was kind of the advice going into senior year was, you know, or fellowship is a great way to introduce yourself into this uh, Indianapolis technology community that I felt like I wanted to be a part of. And I think I just thrown my interview in there and then got a job offer and forgot about it. And a couple months went by and I got invited to um, reception on the circle and was like, oh, well, uh, I already accepted this interview with Exact Target, but I was like, but if there's a way that we could do both, I'd be totally game for that. And they're like, yeah, we've had all kinds of people like come to reception on the circle. We still need to vet you. We're not letting you in yet, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I jumped into the recruitment process. 
Bo talks about how one of the biggest differences he can see from his time in the fellowship to what it is now is what he calls the creative streak. During his years, Orr was still pretty green, so the idea of content creation was also relatively new. Because he studied film in college and also worked in Target's marketing department making videos, he pretty soon got labeled as, quote-unquote, the video guy. Not that other fellows in his class weren't creative, it was just they were on tracks for more traditional business roles. What was nice was I had kind of a talent, I guess, that I could bring to the table and say, hey, we've never really done anything with this before, let's make some videos, you know, to market ourselves, similar to what we're doing with this podcast right now, is this content creation Mm -hmm. to really showcase who we are, not just words on paper, but if kids in college want to come be a part of the Or Fellowship, they want to see who the people are that they're going to be with. So the idea was like, let's get ourselves on camera in front of these people before the recruitment process happens. Right. And that just, you know, it felt good to have a purpose in the group, you know? And I think that was a very formative time for the Or Fellowship of lots of people bringing new ideas in to mm-hmm. say, we get to kind of build this thing together let's do it. You said have a purpose. What does that mean to you and how did you pursue that? Well, I'm a millennial. So we all want to have a purpose, right? We all want to be shiny and special and unique, unique snowflakes. But I think, um, well, I think that's, I first saw it with or fellowship and really with exact target as well. And I think has become a big recruiting tactic but also really um kind of a a moniker a banner to wave for modern companies today which is not just hire somebody for a job right because it's kind of like we just want to put a square peg into a square hole and be done with it right and I think it was people saying to you hey here's your resume we love all these things and um we can kind of make something special out of this, right? You've got the ingredients that we need for maybe a role that's never existed before. For him, Purpose was finding other ways to use his film degree in the business world. Initially, he wasn't looking for a career in film or video. It was something he pursued because it was fun and he liked it. What he appreciated from Orr and from Exact Target was that they saw potential in his two degrees working together, not just one or the other separately. So all of a sudden, the purpose was, oh, wow, like, you don't want me to just sit there and, like, push buttons all day. Like, you actually see opportunity for me to create change and to have that purpose. And I think that's really one of those secret ingredients to Indianapolis the last 15 years. The whole technology industry here is not just saying we're looking for technology people. We're looking for uh, a diverse array of people to create a technology industry but you know a company doesn't get run by just technology focused people you need all different kinds mm-hmm. of people and that was probably the purpose that I felt um, in the or fellowship and in my early career was just hey here's something unique that I can offer and I just want to be on the team you know I just want to be a part of the solution 
after talking a little bit more about belonging to something, feeling like you're contributing to a higher cause and making a difference at the end of the day, we transitioned to talking about his experience at Exact Target, what he learned there, and what purpose he found after his time with them. Yeah, it was um, kind of a whirlwind. So I was with Exact Target for two years, just about the entirety of my or fellowship experience. Um, until, not until, but and then, and then, uh, Salesforce decided to acquire Exact Target, which was like the best uh, business school case study day to day ever. These are things that like normally is like a chapter in a book and you're done with it in a week, but it was like really getting to live what it's like to go through an acquisition um, to start working for a company that's in Silicon Valley and I'm remote in the Midwest, and just you, to kind of see how those things are handled. Yeah, could, I was gonna say, could you go into that a little bit? From my experience, whatever day of the week it was, I don't, you know, call it a Friday or whatever. You know, some days you go to bed and you think you know, you got your whole day the next day planned out, and you know exactly what you're gonna do. And I'm very type A, so my calendar is like, I don't go to bed until things are like set the way I need them to. The emails are read and the calendar for the next day is ready to go. And I remember it like that, which was, all right, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. And I remember, you know, it's like 6.30 in the morning and I'm like, alarm's going off and I look at my phone and it's like this email to certain members of the marketing department, which is kind of this like call for all hands on deck. And it's like, some things are going to be happening today and we need you to participate. And for me, it was... As video, we're going to be doing different um, company meeting announcements. There's going to be some events to follow in the next week or so. Um, everybody come in, right? And yeah. I live downtown. It was kind of like throw your clothes in and get in. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it could have been a scary time. I never felt that way. I don't think anybody else did. And really, that's a great uh, attribute to the leadership of exact target, which was this is not a moment to be scared. This is a moment to kind of celebrate. I mean, it was really a milestone for everybody. He said the situation was handed positively. For about a week, he took place in meetings to capture important points that needed to be shared with the rest of the company. And about a week after that, Salesforce executives came on site where they had a big town hall event. It was an exciting time to be alive for a 23-year-old straight out of college, in the thick of it, not only witnessing change, but seeing the recognition of success with an Indianapolis company. In Bo's words, it was almost like there was respect for building something significant, but with the opportunity to turn it into something bigger. Indianapolis is the second largest headquarters for Salesforce in the world, foreshadowing what he thinks is the first of many large company acquisitions in the city. Bo was with Salesforce for another two years, six months of which, he says, was dedicated to really just transitioning the two companies into one. There wasn't a lot of work during that time, but it created a chance for him to work with the marketing department and do some filmmaking. Their department was much more robust than anything he had been working with before, and working with seasoned professionals was a welcome opportunity. For the next year, he traveled back and forth from Indy to the West Coast, working on various projects back to back. 
I hit this point where I just, um, I didn't renew the lease on where I was living and I just moved a lot of my stuff to my parents' house because I'm from Indianapolis. Right. Because I realized I was just never around. It was like, I just need a place to keep my stuff because I'm most Mondays flying to San Francisco or elsewhere in the country. And then I might be coming back for the weekend or, you know, I might just like crash with a buddy that weekend and hang out on the coast. So to be a young person, yeah, it was a blast. I'm sure. I had a great time and I was getting to go to really neat places and participate in big productions where a lot of what I had done before was kind of small team, figuring out as we go, learning as we go, to all of a sudden working with seasoned professionals and getting to learn from them was really exciting. Yeah. But eventually, he hit this point where he had to decide between moving out to San Francisco or staying in Indianapolis. While many of his friends ended up moving out west, he just didn't see himself out on the coast. I just saw myself in Indianapolis, and I think that's that gut instinct that you gotta trust sometimes. Like, you know, that little conscience in the back of your mind is telling you to do something. So he took a leap of faith and decided to make a change. This change wasn't so drastic as you'd expect, though, and came from people he'd known and worked with for the previous four years. This started his time with Trendy Minds, a creative advertising agency here in Indianapolis. As most things go, it came about suddenly. What he thought was a casual coffee with friends turned into a job offer, and from the moment he accepted the job, things moved pretty quickly. And it was like within a matter of two weeks, I think I you know, put in my notice started looking for an apartment downtown. It's just a pretty big life change all of a sudden, but um, it just felt like the right thing to do. So when you say you had this gut feeling of, I want to stay in Indianapolis, looking back now, what do you think influenced that gut feeling? I think sometimes you have these gut reactions that you make really quick, and it's just like, this is the right thing to do. But I think other times and this is the case for me, was you kind of let it simmer long enough, right? You don't make a a brash or quick decision. You kind of just let it be over on the stovetop for a little bit, and eventually it's ready to go, you know? I think that was several months of buildup, probably three months of every day kind of questioning, like, is this the right thing or what am I liking? What am I not liking? And I think that was my process of figuring it out. Everybody's different. I know plenty of people who can make the quick decision and it's the right decision. I think for me, I kind of needed to self-validate a little bit. I needed to kind of make, make the right decision, but I had to be really sure before I just jumped at it. So while it felt like a quick decision, I think it had been simmering for several weeks at that point and it was just a new opportunity presented itself and I was ready for it at that time. I had already prepared myself for that. His gut instinct led him to a great way to continue his career for the next three years. Trendy Minds and Thinkhead Studios were much smaller in comparison to Salesforce, but that didn't mean they had less to offer. What really excited me was just being from Indianapolis, being a film geek, there weren't a lot of opportunities that we knew of, at least growing up locally. Mm. You know, you'd see a Colts game, but they'd be flying in guys from ESPN from elsewhere in the country to work the game for the weekend and then get out of here. So there wasn't a whole lot of stuff here, and I loved the idea of giving back 
to the community, creating opportunities for other people growing up. Bo was able to apply the skills he'd learned at Exact Target and Salesforce to agency work, but what stuck with him the most from his time there was the lessons he learned. You gotta do the creative work, but you also have to consult with your teammates, with your client, you gotta serve the client well, you gotta be responsible with your time because for the client that's kind of their money yeah. at work is the time to do it. Um, but also just really out of the box creative thinking where I'd always worked with one brand, which is gonna come with like one set of brand standards to all of a sudden every day I'm getting to work with different clients and different brands and different stories. And so it's kind of like boot camp. You know? <laughs> I, I love mean it. I mean agency life is tough, but and a lot of people thrive in it. And there are parts of it I miss a lot. Um, like what? The grind, the hustle, uh, the teamwork, the people that you work with, like you're all experiencing the same thing. You know, I grew up playing athletics. Um, I was a lacrosse player in college and high school, so I came from like a pretty heavy team dynamic. And I think when you're working on a team of people in an agency, but I would say the same could probably be true for most teams in different businesses, is recognize that everybody is carrying their fair share of the weight and everybody's coming in day to day and they're doing the work and they're making it happen. And um, that's how you win games, right. right? That's how you make stuff is if everybody's doing what they gotta do for the good of the team and for the company. Shameless plug, because I think, you know, we're probably talking to people involved with companies in Indianapolis who need to tell their story. And the great thing is we've got a couple different uh, options of local house vendors who can help tell those stories. And I would say Trendy Minds and ThinkEd Studios are two of the best places to do that and to kind of partner with you. Find the people who are the best at what they do and partner with them. We talked for several minutes after this about things he learned along the way, skills he picked up at Trendy Minds. And then we switched gears a little and talking about how all those skills are still useful, even though what he does now for a living is much different. So after three years, with Trendy Minds and Think Ed Studios. I kind of felt this calling, which I had had in college, if you remember, business degree, and I always just kind of figured I would put that into practice, but we have a family business that my dad and my grandfather started in the late 70s, so we're about a little over 40 years old. I think we're 43 years old. It's not in filmmaking, it's not in technology, but, um, industrial loading dock, sales, distribution, maintenance, service, things of that nature. And um, really we're a manufacturer's representative. And that's in the sense of we represent um, a pretty robust line of different products that are national or international brands that we distribute throughout the state of Indiana. At its core, what I really like about that is that kind of Hoosier mentality of we're bringing hopefully the best of the best products to help in manufacturing and distribution businesses to people in Indiana to help the businesses here, right? I think it's always going to be that mentality of, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just a dock leveler, which (laughs) is a piece of steel, but how is this helping the people who do their jobs contribute to the Indiana economy? Um, And also, how does it protect them and keep them safe? 
and send them home at the end of the day. So while I'll never know of specific instances, that's what I like to think about in what we do and kind of the purpose that we serve. For the first time, the family business was modernizing, which was where Bo saw an area that he could really help with. He took everything he learned and put it into trying to bring the business up to the times. Part of this is making the business more efficient, evaluating processes and contemplating why they do things a certain way, rather than follow the same process just because that's the way they've been doing things for 40 years. He's leaned heavily on his or entrepreneurship mentality of consistently trying to make them better, and he tapped into his network, figuring out ways to make their family business a more profitable company. And for him, that's growth and that's success for them. Really, I'm just kind of trying to tackle it, tackle it with humility mm-hmm. and to say I'm, in the grand scheme of things, still very young and have a lot to learn. And so I try to contribute where I can, but I also try to shut up and listen in some parts too right. and to learn from them. So yeah, that's what I do now. Bo says that he tries to make informed decisions, putting himself in the shoes of the employees and those affected by the change to better understand the situation. There are many seasoned workers at the family company who he could talk to, one of whom happened to walk by and say hello before he left for the evening. Hello. Cool, hello. This is Amanda. Nice to meet you. I'm Pete Feeney. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Amanda's in the Orr Fellowship, which is a group I was involved with. Uh, when I was done at Purdue. Is that named after Robert Orr? Yeah. yeah. The governor? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Governor Robert Orr. Yeah. And I'm being interviewed yeah. via I'm audio I'm in charge right of a, oh, a podcast. Oh, so I should shut no, up. No, you're fine. Up. You're fine. So when you do a podcast, do you have a chance to edit me out of that? Everything. Okay. Yeah. Or Unless keep you, you in. Give us something good. Yeah. I have no wisdom. <laughs> you know I highly doubt that. So. Later, Bo confirmed my suspicions about Pete lying about not having wisdom. Besides Bo's dad, I'm pretty sure he's the most knowledgeable person in the company since he's been with them almost since inception. Employee number three, Bo estimates. Bo also told me that Pete is the kind of mentor you love to be around and that he tries to soak up whatever advice and experience he might have to share so he can provide that advice to other fellows or employees under him when it's his turn. But actually, Bo is doing some mentoring or really advising already by being a member of the Orr Fellowship Alumni Advisory Council. Yeah, the uh, Orr Fellowship Alumni Advisory Council. Because right. we can't do anything in short form, right? No. It's got to have a long, strong-out name that's then turned into an acronym. Yeah. That people don't know what it means. Exactly. And I'm not good at acronyms, so. I'm not either at I all. just spell it out exactly as it is. <laughs> Since I'm a movie guy, I think of everything as film quotes. And, um, oh, geez, Godfather, I think it was, it was either the Godfather or Goodfellas. Once I get out, they pull me back in. I think it was Godfather Part Three, which would not be the recommended one of that trilogy to start with. Which one's the recommended one? Oh, one, yeah. and then two, and then maybe don't watch Godfather Part Three. But yeah, once I get out, they pull me back in, and that's me with... Uh, the Orr Fellowship, I guess, which was I was a part of it. Maybe I had like a one-year, two-year hiatus, call it, mm-hmm. where I was just like an alum in town going to stuff when they invite me. And um, we had a couple folks in that the kind of that time leadership of the Orr Fellowship who 
saw that it was time for us as an organization to start considering our alumni base and that similar to you know a large educational institution we are starting to have um, a pretty robust group of quote-unquote graduates from the program and that we needed a better way to connect current fellows with uh, the alumni base and vice versa. He was then invited to basically represent the alumni base, primarily his own class, as a member of this new council. He says that Kate Brochiers, also an our alum and one of our current board members, was really the driving factor behind making the council a reality. It's still kind of an experiment, feeling out the best ways for the council to be involved with the current classes of fellows, helping or giving advice when needed, but also stepping back when the alumni aren't needed. Our kind of uh, mission statement or our purpose is to serve the alumni. You know, that's who we have to care about first and foremost. But I really do think we're a connector and it changes year to year. What are the current fellows looking for as far as engagement with the alumni mm. and how can we help fill in the blanks and get the right people involved? And at the same time for the alumni, how can we help them stay connected, communicate enough, but not too much? We're just a group and we're trying to equally represent the fellowship as it continues to grow. And that means making sure we've got people involved from the very early years of the OR Fellowship and making sure we've got younger people as they kind of spin out of the OR Fellowship that are on our team to represent the needs of the younger alumni base. Um, because now, 2018, we're kind of sending 70 people out into that alumni pool a year and we're just growing exponentially. While it's not an outright goal, the council is coming close to having each year a fellows represented because of all the growth. Each one of those representatives help connect the rest of the alumni group to their class, ensuring better ties within the alumni community itself. A shameless plug, we recently introduced with, um, through partnership with current fellows um, who led the charge really in creating this uh, new portal called 360 Alumni. Yep, I'm very, very familiar with it. Yeah, and I... It's something where I think we talked about it and it was like, how's year one going to go? And we had to kind of let go of year one and say it's not about year one. It's about the future of the Order Fellowship and the people who aren't even in the fellowship yet who are still in college who are going to become a part of it. How can we create this avenue for them to communicate with alumni and amongst themselves um, without having to figure it out out of the gate? I think it's going to be a great recruiting tool to be able to talk to college students and say, look at all of these successful alumni in Indianapolis and elsewhere around the country who have come through this program. And if you're a part of our ranks, you get access to these people. Right. That was my favorite part about the OR Fellowship was whether they were an OR Fellow or an alum, there was this kind of unwritten code of, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Right. No, it's so true. Which I drink a lot of coffee now and was kind of conditioned at that time, but it was really more just that thirst to learn from other people and to network and meet people. But if you said that you were in the OR Fellowship, people will meet with you for anything, right? Because they had been in your shoes before and said at one time I was 22 or 23, starting off in Indianapolis, new job, just trying to figure it all out. And they remember how much it meant to have an older 
more seasoned person, meet up with them for coffee, share a little bit of their wisdom. And I think that's what we're trying to do as the as both groups get bigger is just make sure that we can hold on to at our DNA at its core. What's important to us is creating that dialogue between the two groups of people so that they have those opportunities to network and connect with each other. What's ironic about this, or really maybe perfect is a better word, is that this Alumni 360 platform was a collaboration between current fellows and alumni. The hope is that the next class of graduates and the next incoming class of fellows will be able to meet up, get to know each other, ask for advice with career or a profession. But this isn't only limited to, obviously, next graduates. It's so that current fellows, for the rest of time, will be able to connect to fellows in the past. The platform has only been alive for a few months, but I can speak personally to its worth, as I've used it already to get in touch with alumni. It's an invaluable resource, and I can't wait to see how it's used, and to definitely be using it when I'm a graduate. I think my final question for you, and you've gotten into it a little bit, what is your favorite part about now being an alum? Not to be, not to bring it full circle, because this is unscripted, but my favorite thing about being in the Or Fellowship was the people, and my favorite thing about being an alum is still the people that you run into now at bars and restaurants, some of whom I haven't seen in years maybe, but we have this common shared experience of being in the Or Fellowship around the same time or meeting through that group, and it's just fun to go out and to just run into people and catch up with them and hear about what they're doing now, how their families have grown, how their careers have taken off and what they're doing today. Um, and at the same time, there's still this kind of two-year group of current fellows. And when I go to networking events and alumni events that we have throughout the year, there's an opportunity to engage with them and interact with them and kind of just share stories about what's it like today as much as they maybe want to hear about what it was like in our day because they're it's they're the same but different, you know? And each class is different than the one before it and the ones preceding it. And um, it's just fun to kind of hear people's stories and to just engage with them because at the end of the day, we're an Indianapolis institution and the people are what's going to grow the city uh, and continue to make us one of the best cities in the country to be a part of. And it's just fun to be a part of that. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Or Else. If any of you listening are Or alumni and want to get more involved, contact Bo directly or even connect with Grant Hubbard and Michael Fitzgerald, the two current fellows in charge of alumni engagement. You can find their contact information through the alumni portal. Tune in next time for an episode featuring a host company executive and or board member. Curious as to who it is? Join me next month to find out. Credit for this episode's music goes to Eddie with All the Way Up, Blue Dot Sessions with Spunk Lit, and Kilo Bot with Rosalie. Thank you.